Welcome to Rast Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture and sustainable food production. Brought to you by Rastec, the premier publication for Rast professionals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rast Talk. I'm your host, Marilyn De Guzman, and with me is co-host Brian Vinci, Director of the Freshwater Institute. Hello again, Brian. Hello, Marilyn. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, just uh, thinking about our last episode, we, there was a great discussion about off-flavor in, uh, in RAS. Uh, wondering what your thoughts about that discussion. I agree. I thought it was a great discussion with Justin Henry and John Davidson about the issue of off-flavor in RAS. Definitely don't feel like it's something that's uh, a hidden secret here since Uh, Justin mentioned on the podcast that he had been exposed to this issue 17 years ago. And and of course, we've been working on it, John Davidson, working on it specifically for the last decade or so. So I hope our listeners uh, give that one a listen and uh, lots of really good information in that one. If you haven't listened to that podcast episode yet, check out our uh, Rast Talk podcast with Justin Henry and John Davidson. It's on uh, rastechmagazine.com. So now I'm excited to introduce our guests today. Um, we're going to be talking about something that's in the news for the past few months, and it's COVID-19. Everybody's talking about that. It's all in the news. And I'm, you know, we talked about this, Brian, and we thought it would be a great idea to get someone on our podcast to talk about how they're dealing with this pandemic in their own facility. We have a couple of people from Hudson Valley Fish Farms that are uh, taking the time to be here with us today. Uh, first off is Brittany Peachy, Aquaculture Operations Manager at Hudson Valley Fish Farms. And we also have John Ng, CEO of Hudson Valley Fish Farms. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. John and, and Brittany, um, just playing off our last podcast, I'm wondering um, if you guys have had any off-flavor issues at Hudson Valley in that do you have a a depuration process that you use and um, has that worked for you at all? Uh, Yes, uh, we've experienced that like all other fish farms. Well, we've been growing our our product for uh, over four years now. We've had our first product to the market uh, more than two years ago. Uh, It was a challenge for us in the early beginning, but like uh, I think most of our other fish farms and uh, uh, land-based farms around the world, we've come to develop a, a process that has actually dealt with the problem. Uh, we've had close to two, two years now where we're not uh, experiencing any kind of uh, off-flavor issues. Oh, that, that's wonderful, uh, John. Um, I think that the depuration procedures are well known now and and everybody has to adapt them to their specific facility like you have to produce uh, you know, a, a high-quality product for the consumer. Um, Justin and John talked about some of the new techniques that are being investigated. So there may be some new things on the horizon with regard to off-flavor in the next couple of years. Yes, I, I agree. There's there's a lot of uh, uh, system-specific treatments and or, or, or processes that the uh, that I don't know whether they're adaptable to everybody's farm, but the, I think everybody yeah. has uh, adapted to some sort of preparation process. Uh, specific to their farm. Right. Can you give us a little bit of a background about your farm and um, the things that you're doing there right now? Uh, Hudson Valley Fisheries is a 1,200-ton fully indoor uh, recycling aquaculture system up in uh, Hudson, New York. As I mentioned, uh, we're scaled for 1,200 metric tons. Of course, we've designed it to be 
a weekly delivery. It's fully indoors, so we're a fully biosecure facility. In this time of uh, stress and crisis, having an indoor facility like this is actually proving to be advantageous, both for our product and our customers. Also within our own production, we're, we're seeing a minimal impact. And Brittany, can you add to in terms of the day-to-day operations, has that changed at all in the face of this COVID-19 as you deal with the repercussions within and outside of your facility? I mean, like I think every business in the area, especially in New York, um, of course, we're listening to um, recommendations by CDC and state agencies as well. We've reduced staff on site, so non-essential staff either work from home or or they're just, you know, they're not here anymore. So we're we're reducing the amount of interaction between the outside and and um, the inside. I mean, we've always emphasized uh, biosecurity, obviously, hand washing and sanitation, but just you know, ramping that up and and reminding everyone that that's really important. Of course, telling people to stay home if they're ill or if somebody that they live with feels ill, uh, those sort of things. And then also, you know, implementing that social distancing as well. We've actually started to cover our faces in common areas and we're working closely together. And I think one of the biggest things that, that so far has been successful here is is the element of teamwork that we have in our team already. They know that their actions not only affect their health, but the health of everybody on this team. It's it's a good attitude to have that they are caring for each other, they're caring for themselves, and they're caring for the fish. Um, could you maybe um, explain for our listeners how big Hudson Valley is? I mean, how many employees do you have? Uh, how many people um, do you have on the production floor? How many fish tanks? Just to give them a sense of the general scale of the 1,200 metric tons of production you have. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure it's easy to get scale when you can't see it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we have 54 tanks in total, and that ranges from uh, first feeding to our our purge tanks. So, Anywhere from uh, first feeding would be five feet in diameter to um, our biggest grout tanks are 45 feet in diameter. Yeah, so at, on any one time on the production floor, again, we've decreased uh, as staff on site, but we have 13 people total on the roster that they're not all here at the same time. So normally we'll have maybe six people here at once. Yeah, we've also had to scale back to essential personnel only. Um, our full-time staff here is only at Freshwater is only 16, but on the fish culture side, it's a smaller group of of three, and we've been doing um, essentially one person on site at, at a time. I can imagine as a food production facility, uh, you you're, you have to struggle with keeping the operations up and going while protecting your staff, as you mentioned, through the CDC guidelines and the personal distancing. And, and the uh, covering of faces in the common areas. Are you guys still harvesting right now? Yes, yes, we are. And how many people do you need for harvesting? Is that an increased staff, or do you just use the staff that you have? It's a completely separate um, staff for for harvest and processing, and that that's actually another step that we've taken to keep everyone safe is is that we've in- implemented a more strict separation between different work areas. So uh, harvest and processing doesn't interact with fish culture and that sort of stuff. So all of our staff in harvest and processing, as well as the fish production side, we've all been healthy so far, knock on wood. But we are taking this very seriously. And 
preparing for the worst but hoping for the best. The building itself is is 160,000 square feet. Uh, the main production floor is roughly half of that. And if you can imagine a very, very long building, it's about uh, 700 feet long, 200 feet wide is the main production floor. And that's where most of those 13 fish culture operators are working. So there's a lot of space in there. Uh, we're fairly compartmentalized. Uh, our nurseries in a separate room from the main production floor. Uh, the harvest room is pretty isolated from the production floor as well as the processing. Uh, all have concrete block in separate areas. There's really no entrance between each of those sections without foot baths, uh, a, a secured door. I was going to say with all that compartmentalization and uh, separation, it sounds like you have a very good handle on the security of the food quality and ensuring that you have a high quality product that leaves the facility. Uh, yes, uh, our biosecurity protocols is one of those, really one of our strongest points, not just with our farm, but I, I think land-based farms in general has this huge advantage in that we are pretty much isolated from or isolating our crop and our product from the outside environment. There is no chance or risk of, of interspecies uh, interactions, either with uh, other wild fish or birds flying, bugs, uh, no risk of that when we're raising fish fully indoors. Uh, there's really only one entrance into our building, uh, in which case our staff are, are walking in. Uh, we have foot baths galore, and uh, they're changing into uniforms, have dedicated footwear when they're in the facility and uh, plenty of hand washing stations. We have uh, isolated tools for each of the seven independent systems on which we raise our product through each stage of life. So we have a, a pretty solid handle on biosecurity. Sounds very good. Uh, I, I think that we are uh, close to that as well, but you're right that most land-based uh, RAS farms um, do have all of those advantages and uh, at least have the potential for what you guys have implemented there at Hudson Valley. That's actually a, a, a great point. But I guess if for anything else, this uh, global pandemic that has affected you know countries across the world and disrupted supply chains and transport of goods, it has really highlighted the importance of domestic production. It has really highlighted the benefits of having your food production systems locally towards that goal for food security. And John, I'm wondering what you're hearing in terms of the industry and how you're responding in terms of sales. Our restaurant and food service customers have, uh, have dropped significantly. They are still ordering. Some are, are still, you know, there's delivery service, but I don't think fish is a product that people want delivered. Uh, a cooked, a prepared fish is not something people want delivered. So we've seen a lot of our restaurant customers decrease their orders. Some are on complete pause. Uh, the flip side of that is our retailers and home delivery customers, uh, such as uh, Fresh Direct, have increased their orders to make up for this time of craziness. Uh, we're seeing multiple increase from new retailers because international supply has seen a significant disruption. You know, we import 90% of our seafood into this country. So you're absolutely right. This is a highlight and a stress to, to show how important it is to 
uh, produce a lot of seafood locally, not just from what we're catching off the shore, but now we, sh we should be looking into more land-based options. You mentioned Fresh Direct. I I'm excited to hear about that. Are, are you are you uh, selling your product to Fresh Direct, and are you selling to any other home delivery meal delivery services like that? Uh, no, Fresh Direct's our our, our good good partner. Uh, they've been well, with us fairly early on, and uh, they can, can uh, they continue to uh, promote us. You know, in this in this time, uh, we've seen it. In, of course, as I mentioned, I've seen an increase in orders from them because uh, I believe they're as busier than they ever been. Now, I know that uh, through Brittany, you guys sell to Greenpoint Fish and Lobster in, in Brooklyn, and um, we had both Brittany from Hudson Valley and um, I think Vinny from Greenpoint Fish and Lobster on the Aquaculture Innovation Workshop agenda. Uh, we hope to have both of them in the event when we uh, finally reschedule it, but um, how are they doing at Greenpoint Fish and Lobster? Are they still buying from you, or are they... Uh, no, they they they've slowed down. Uh, they're on pause. Also, most of their customer base are are restaurants, uh, and very notable ones. Please. I think that's their uh, their distribution side is might have slowed down because of the the restaurants, but I believe their shop specifically is still operating. Yeah, and I just wanted to kind of emphasize too. Not only are we selling through Fresh Direct, which would be you know they do their own delivery, but I mean, you can also get us delivered anywhere in the country via UPS, um, which we've, we've also seen an increase in that as well. Again, it's sort of like you know, why get your your fish from overseas when you can get it in your backyard? And I think that's kind of being emphasized here is, is we're local, we're traceable, and we're healthy. So, yeah, you can get it delivered right to your doorstep. So, Brittany, my address is 162. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to publicize that, but we'll send you a fish for sure. <laughs> I consider it a done deal. Yeah. Canada? <laughs> I think we have worked on that. I don't know about the um, the customs, but we can work on that as well. <laughs> yeah, Canada is a, a, it's a challenge. We tried that at uh, uh, customs, is, is a, a is a process. <laughs> I'll just say that. that. That's interesting with the home delivery because I, I guess now that it's you know, a lot of people are hunkered down at home and trying to you know self-isolate and uh, home delivery of food you know must be a, at an uptick. Yeah it absolutely is. Like as I mentioned uh, I've spoken to uh, uh, some of the great people at, at Fresh Direct and they said there a lot of staff is working from home. The, their sales and management staff can work from home. Uh, but uh, they are busier than ever. So with the reduction in the, the wholesale, but the retailers sort of, for you guys, it's sort of balancing that out. But as this, uh, all indications or all health experts are saying that this might continue on, especially if people still are not heeding the call for self-isolation. Do you see this still continuing in terms of your sales? Is that something confident and optimistic about? I believe so. I, I mean, not to make light of the people who've really been sick. For the vast majority of people, it, it will be cold-like or flu-like symptoms is what, we, what I'm seeing like everybody else on the news. We'll get to a norm, as horrific as the economy is right now, but there's no indicator that uh, people are not getting past this. Uh, so I have no reason to believe that we won't get back to kind of our normal way of life in a very short couple of months, uh, if that long. 
I'm feeling quite positive still. John, in the return uh, to normalcy, maybe after a few months, I'm wondering, in this period, have you heard from your feed suppliers? Do you feel confident that both uh, feed and oxygen uh, will be delivered without interruption? Uh, on the O2 front, there is absolutely no risk of, of interruption, mainly because uh, they are absolutely continuing production. They need to supply hospitals with the O2. We're not the biggest user of O2 in, this, in any area. Uh, hospitals will need it. And in this in, uh, current uh, crisis, oxygen is in higher need. So I don't foresee that being an issue. Brittany, you can answer more about our feed. I know you've been in touch with them. Yeah, so we've gotten messages from Scredding is, is who we're, we're working with for feed. And, you know, they've assured us that our supply chain will be, remain open and, and that they'll work with us to get us feed. And I don't really have any worries at this point either as far as our feed. Um, we uh, have used a variety of feed suppliers over the years. Right now we're currently uh, purchasing uh, EWOS and Ziegler feeds. Of course, Ziegler is very close to us, and so there's no <laughs> issues across Canada border. Um, mm. uh, but EWOS uh, does present some uh, challenges, but uh, we did get a shipment of feed in just uh, yesterday. So um, I feel good about that in, in terms of um, getting feed across the border uh, from Canadian suppliers like Scredding or, or EWOS. Even though the international borders are being closed, but yeah, the supply chain you know, at some capacity is still you know, being allowed to continue their shipments. Do you have uh, your egg orders are still apply for eggs for your production? Yes. So we haven't changed our egg orders. We haven't had any word from the suppliers that they won't be able to supply those eggs. And so yeah, I think that I'm pretty confident that that will continue. New York, uh, you know, in the news, you know, it's been called sort of the epicenter in the U.S. now for uh, the outbreak. Um, but what are some of the concerns that you're hearing from your workers? I've had a few um, concerns brought to light, which I believe we've addressed them. Again, as I said, um, reducing the number of staff on site, emphasizing hand washing and sanitation, as as well as covering faces when we're working together. I think that a lot of the production technicians that we have here, the, the ones that are caring for the fish, are very dedicated to the farm, dedicated to the fish and the fish care. At the same time, they know that it's important to stay home if they're ill. Again, that emphasis of teamwork. So, you know, they're not going to come to work if they feel ill because it will affect the team. Yes, we they have we've talked about some of their concerns, but concerns. But I think overall they're confident that we'll still get the job done. Well, Brittany, I know that one of your technicians or fish culturist is extremely dedicated, Zach Janiak. <laughs> he was an intern with us, and you know, that's the understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, the fish and the fish care is is, uh, is up there. Yeah, Zach's great. Um, definitely, uh, definitely dedicated to the farm. And, and I think it's important you mentioned, you know, that the team that will uh, essentially, you know, carry you through this kind of concerning time and um, whether it's your place or our place or, or Maryland's, um, I think, you know, that pulling together is important. And, um, and even for the industry, the whole industry does have a little bit of, of uh, togetherness to it. Um, as you know, we 
we uh, like to be the convening of industry partners at the aquaculture innovation workshop but that was delayed but i do feel the industry has a good sense about itself and and shares information widely and um is hoping that we can all be successful um, i think we can maybe talk about some future plans for uh hudson valley like are there do you have any expansion plans or what's next uh of course we never when my family and I uh, started this uh, this venture, we did not look at to stop at just one farm. Uh, this is a, a proof of concept, which we think we pretty much proved uh, that in that we're, we're producing uh, a high quality product on a, on a weekly basis. Or you know, there's no, uh, or I have supreme confidence that this is not you know this is something that we can repeat. Uh, so we are looking to to expand. Uh, there's so many, as you know, there's so many uh, land-based projects coming into the country from from you know predominantly Maine, but uh, down to Miami and across the the country to California. But uh, our our idea of being hours and minutes away from the major market, uh, I, I think is the is going to be the, the the big proving point for us. We're two hours from from the biggest market in the country, but we're five hours from 50 million people from DC to Philly to uh, Boston. Our concept is really to be as sustainable and as green as possible. And that includes, you know, a, a low carbon footprint from transportation, which is significant when you talk about flying seafood all over around the world to, to, to market. Expansion plans are on our books. Yes. Yeah, John. Do you have any areas of the country that you uh, are looking at? Um, West Coast, um, Midwest, anything? Yeah, uh, we're, we're considering a, a, a couple of locations. Really, it's about uh, site selection. It's about uh, uh, market access, and predominantly everything above all, it's about uh, water access. Yeah. We would love to be in the California market, but the water is an issue over there. <laughs> Definitely. You know, you mentioned there are a lot of projects uh, coming to the U.S. Um, I would only note that there are very few actually producing in the U.S. and and Hudson Valley is one of them. So uh, kudos to you guys for doing the proof of concept first, and then um, and then looking to expand outward from there. Um, sometimes we hear a lot about big projects and big dollars and. Um, it doesn't always materialize, and I, I don't necessarily think that's a huge positive for for the industry. You know, when we looked into this, or we jumped into this now six years ago, I think the while well, the timing wasn't exactly thought out to be so, but I think we're we were ahead of the curve, and we we accomplished a lot in the last few years. And uh, no small thanks to uh, the Freshwater Institute and all the support you guys given us. <laughs> in solving some of these problems. Uh, but uh, we, we're so excited to be the one of the few are producing right now. That's great. I, I do. Thank you for that. And um, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, your hemp production. I saw a video that you had produced and it's on LinkedIn right now. And uh, it mentions the fact that you have greenhouses and are producing hemp. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah. So, Aquaponics was always on the drawing board. Uh, 
but we wanted to, to build a, uh, a sizable fish farm first, not the other way around. We didn't want to build a greenhouse and then add a little fish to it. Uh, our focus has been on the, the seafood industry and trying to solve some of the seafood industry's problems. So we, that has been our, our chief focus. And I believe we, you know, we've gotten there. We've taken, we've taken the uh, four years to get to the point where our production was steady and increasing. Uh, we're going to, we're getting to the point where uh, we'll be at full capacity soon. It, 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 it was adequate time to look into uh, the agricultural portion of this kind of this holistic system we're, we're, we're building out. And uh, it just so happens, this was, we were looking into this back in 2016 and 17, and it was this advent of this hemp industry that, uh, that really poses an, a, an incredible opportunity for us. So uh, 2019 was our first year of growing hemp. We have four ways of culturing hemp from the greenhouse to field to indoors, and we even have a small uh, aquaponic system for culturing hemp. I believe right now we have seven acres of uh, tillable land that we're going to grow this year, uh, expandable to 20. We have two greenhouses that we're renovating. Uh, totaling over 160,000 square feet. Uh, so we have a sizable uh, hemp operation and we can be vertically integrated. So we're, we're producing hemp from clones for other farmers, uh, all the way to even the processing side where we'll have extraction equipment and uh, drying capabilities also. John, you'll have to educate the the fish guy, that's me. I know that Marilyn has uh, lots of uh, knowledge about the industry from her editorial role at, is it Cannabis Magazine? Grow opportunity. John, what's the growing cycle on hemp? I mean, how long does it take to go from seed to a, a product you're actually harvesting? Well, uh, that's a very variable question, but uh, in our field, it's a, it's generally one growing season uh, during the year if you're, if you're growing outdoors on uh, uh, traditional terrestrial farming. Right. Uh, we plant in, we're aiming to plant in early May, uh, depending on the weather, of course, uh, and harvest uh, late September into October, uh, depending on the strains and, and also weather. But within our greenhouses, with some of our capabilities with the light control, we have one harvest from May to October, but then from November back to April, we may be able to squeeze two to uh, maybe even three harvests out in that time. With our, uh, in addition to our, uh, with uh, greenhouses, we have indoor capabilities that we are maintaining our source plants, our mother plants, and can also turn that into uh, significant production also. We can take a plant from uh, a clone to a harvestable plant uh, in about uh, two and a half to three months. Are you uh, harvesting them for uh, CBD or uh, what end product you're looking at? Yeah, uh, we are, we're not making any end products yet, but uh, uh, as I mentioned before, we'll have uh, extraction capabilities soon. Uh, so right now we are selling uh, biomass and trim, hand trimmed flour into the market. Uh, there is such a, a big demand, especially because of that video you saw, Brian. Uh, for really a, 
aquaponically grown hemp, which I believe uh, we may be the only one in the nation. John, that's that's, uh, that's exciting stuff, I have to say. Producing local uh, steelhead uh, close to the market as well as producing potentially uh, acres of, uh, of hemp. Uh, very, very interesting and exciting stuff. From the investor's perspective, this is giving them some kind of uh, insight on, you know, something like this happens, you know, grass farms, grass producers are the ones who are maybe thriving and um, serving the local market. Uh, you, you're, Mary, you're, you're right. There's just so many projects on the drawing board and we're the first ones out and having that experience of being this first one now, well, one, we do pay for it. It, it, it wasn't an easy road to, to get to this point. Uh, but I'm I sure. Believe... <laughs> well, Brian, you know for sure, you know firsthand being, uh, <laughs> being I do. out there, I do. The, the challenges. But even beyond that, on the broader business front, it's not just it's not just fish and water, which is uh, <laughs> I think the, the common saying. It's just fish and water. Uh, they're just it is such a complex problem, and I believe we've 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 taken on so many of those those challenges, and I think we've achieved a lot. So being the first one here, uh, having a a a physical dem uh, facility that people can see work through all the productions and the processes, uh, I think is a big advantage. Uh, you know when we do look to expand. Um, I want to thank uh, John and Brittany for their time, uh, sharing their experiences and uh, happenings at, at Hudson Valley during this uh, challenging COVID pandemic. Uh, really appreciate you guys being so open and um, uh, maybe we'll uh, look to have you on again in the future. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you again, John and Brittany for taking the time and um it's it's reassuring that despite all the you know the scary stuff that that's happening out there, um, you know some sectors are thriving. Um, thanks again, Brittany and John. Thank you to Marilyn and Brian. Thanks for having us on, and um, yeah, stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I wish everybody <laughs> a healthy time in 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 this craziness. Thank you. That concludes our episode. For the latest RAS-related news, visit rastechmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation here at Brass Talk.